want, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, I'll meet you there in just a second. Good to see everybody this morning. I feel like we're kind of weighted to this side a little bit, though. No, there are seats over here, folks. Anyways, um, the story goes that uh, the great Bear Bryant, man who hated losing, once went duck hunting with a friend of his and was getting to the end of their time hunting and they hadn't really gotten anything. And some ducks started to fly overhead. Bear Bryant started shooting. His friend shot too and None fell when the great bear Bryant was shooting. His friend looked over at him and he said, Listen, today is a day of miracles. His friend said, What are you talking about? He said, Have you ever seen a flying dead duck? I shot those. They just didn't fall. It's all... it's, a, it's hard to admit wrong sometimes, right? I mean, especially like, y'all know, I am um, I'm one that likes squirrel hunting. And so when I go squirrel hunting, I, I think, first off, by the way, when I don't go with anybody, I actually do get squirrels. That's honest to goodness. I'm standing up here. I'm not lying. But when I go with y'all, for whatever reason, y'all are bad luck or you're too loud or something because I have yet to shoot a squirrel with any of y'all present. And most of y'all say, well, let me come down to your yard and, and uh, you come down to my yard and, and I've got plenty of squirrels. And I go out there, I think y'all are lying and you need to repent. I'll meet you down here in just a minute. Anyways, um, it's hard to admit wrong. And a lot of times when we are wrong, we will, we will make a joke to lessen the impact of it. Those are funny instances in which that happens. But In the scripture, there are times that aren't so funny. Over the next uh, few weeks, at at least this month, last year when I was trying to figure out what we were going to preach, I've been wanting to do a series on the five types of fools, and I figure what better day to, to, to do it, to start it, than when April Fools falls on traditional Easter, and it's also on the first day of the week, and so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the five types of fools this month. And our first type is this type, evil. It looks like evil, but it's evil. It is the person who jokes, who mocks when they are wrong. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool, an evil person, is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A lot of times we will, we will be wrong, and in order to lessen the impact of our error, we will crack a joke. And if, it's, if, if anybody does this, it is myself. However, an evil person is different. An evil person makes a joke to lessen the impact of truth. There's a story, a joke rather, of... Well, it's, it's, it's told like this. In fact, I will tell you, when I was first starting to investigate the church. I remember it was at Jacksonville State University, and um, most of y'all know the person who converted me was named Dalton Gilreath. My son is named Joshua Dalton after Dalton. Well, we were 
going to Bible studies on Wednesday night. What we would do is we would, uh, someone would sneak into the music department. Um, I hope nobody at Jacksonville State's listening to this. I didn't get a degree from there anyway, so they can't take it away from me. But we would sneak into the music department and we'd put a rock in the back door. And then after Bible study that night, all the Christians would go to Bible study at the local congregation. And all of us heathens that were just in, in, you know, I'm just using that term accommodatively. All of us that were investigating the truth would go to the Bible study afterwards. So at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, we would sneak into the basement of Mason Hall at Jacksonville State University, one of the buildings that was destroyed by the tornado a few weeks ago, and we would have a Bible study. And one of the trumpet players at Jacksonville found out that we were doing that. And instead of telling on us, which is rightfully so, we were sneaking into a building that was supposed to be locked, okay? But what he did was he said, wait a second, you're, 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 going to this Bible study done by the, by the people who are Church of Christ? Those are his exact words. I hate that phrase, I'm Church of Christ. Anyways, he said, you're going to the, the Bible study that's done by those Church of Christ people? I said, yeah. He said, you know, there was once a person who died and he went to heaven. And St. Peter was showing him around heaven. And he saw all these beautiful places all over, the, all over heaven and Back in the back corner, there was a place with a giant wall. And and the man said, well, what's that? And Peter said, shh, don't don't talk too loud. That's the members of the Church of Christ. They don't know anybody else is here. It's that kind of joke that's the evil joke. The joke that makes less of Scripture. that, That takes the impact of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and turns it into just something that's trying to get a laugh out of it. The evil person is the Jews in Matthew chapter 27. And so that's what we're going to go over today is Matthew chapter 27. So we're going to talk about the the trial, the crucifixion, and later on we'll talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Verse 3, Judas second guesses his decision. And so he goes back to the council, to the Sanhedrin, and he says, I want to give my money back. I don't want this money. I I feel horrible about what I have done to Jesus. I've followed him for three years, and now I've I've turned him over for you to kill him. And so he leaves the money because they won't take it back. And they go out and they buy with that money a place called the potter's field, which is still there today. It's still an empty place that traditionally no one will build there because uh, that was the area that was purchased with the money that that betrayed Jesus. So pick up in verse number 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he said, you've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests, And elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer. Not even a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any prisoner who they wanted. At the the Passover, there was a, a custom. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a Roman law. It wasn't even a Jewish law. It was just something that the Romans did to appease the Jews because in this time period, 
The Jews aren't a powerful nation, but just a few years before this, there was an uprising of the Jews. And the Romans squashed it pretty quickly, but there's, there's still that animosity there. The Jews still led a pretty strong revolt. In fact, if you read the, the intertestamental books of the book of Maccabees, you'll read about the, the revolt of Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabees, who stands up against Rome, and the Romans don't want that to happen. They, they know that the Jews aren't going to take over Rome. They're not going to somehow kick Rome out of Jerusalem. It's the Roman army. But they just don't want to deal with it. And so they're trying to keep the Jews as happy as possible. And so they put in an extra high priest that's kind of a Roman uh, gopher that can do whatever the Romans say to do. But then they keep the Jewish high priest to make them happy. Every year around Passover, they will release a Jewish man that's been in prison for whatever reason. And so Pilate says, okay, here's the, here's the tradition. We usually do this. I don't find any fault in Jesus and so I'll make you a deal. I'll release him as that, as that part. Down in verse 22. Well, let's back up to verse number 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Barabbas is a, he's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a, he's a con artist. He's, he's a person who is known by the Roman officials to be the worst of the worst. And for whatever reason, Pilate uses him. He picks him. Maybe it's because Pilate doesn't want to kill Jesus. And so what he does is he picks someone that he knows. The Jews are not going to want me to release Barabbas to him, to them. And so which would you choose, Barabbas or Jesus? And they, Verse 20, they persuade the people to ask for Barabbas. The governor again says to them, verse 21, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they say, Barabbas. And Pilate says to them, Verse 22, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Let him be crucified. Some of your translations may say crucify him. Why? Why? What evil has he done? Pilate asked them. And they shouted all the more. They shouted all the more crucify him. Now the word shouted is, it's a, it's a Greek word, kradzo. It kind of sounds like cry, doesn't it? Kradzo. It's it means cry for vengeance. You've heard of, you've heard of screams that, that happen in war. Maybe you've been in war and you hear the, the scream. Someone gets upset. Maybe, maybe their best friend has fallen beside them. And so it's kind of like the, the old movies, you know. You see, you see two men who are in war, in battle, and his best friend dies beside him. And so he picks up his best friend's rifle and he runs straight at the enemy screaming bloody murder. You've heard of those stories, right? That's Kradzo. It's a cry for vengeance. It's the same kind of cry that the Ephesians are screaming in Acts 17. Great is Diana, God of the Ephesians. They're not just chanting, our God is Diana. They're screaming for vengeance. They want these Christians in Acts 17. They want these Christians to be put to death for what they're doing. Now, the reason they want the Christians put to death is because they've kind of hurt their pocket. They've, they've hurt their back end. Their, their businesses aren't doing so well, and so they want to squash this Jewish rebel, this Christian rebellion, rather, this, this religious rebellion that has come up that's being called Christianity or, or the followers of the way at that time. But in Matthew chapter 27, they're crying out for vengeance. Crucify him. 
crucify him, chanting over and over and over again. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it for yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed on his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. That's the evil person, the person who mocks him. They mocked him, hail, king of the Jews, and they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on his head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his own clothes, and led him away to crucify him. The Romans in Matthew 27 were the evil person, the person who, Proverbs 29 and verse 9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs. There is no quiet. They're the ones who, just a few passages after this, those same Roman officials that watched him be scourged, that took that scarlet robe and put it on him, that put the crown of thorns on his head, that hit him, that beat him, that laughed at him, are going to say, surely this man was the son of God. Because an evil person, when faced with the truth, makes jokes about it. An evil person, when faced with the truth, tries to cope with his own understanding that he is wrong by making a joke. And that's what the Romans are doing in Matthew chapter 27. Now, let's jump down to verse number, well... Verse 32, let's get some more of this context. Verse 32, and they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And they're going on the way to Golgotha. They're walking Jesus to Golgotha. When they had crucified him, verse 35, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. Over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. If you read in the, the account of John, they put that there, and the Jews come back and say, Don't put King of the Jews. Put He said he's King of the Jews. And Pilate is so sick of what they've done. He's so tired of having to, to appease these lowly Jewish people who are, who are so demanding that they have now put Jesus on the cross. He says, I put what I put on there. You're going to have to get over it. And so they put this thing above him that says, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Drop down to verse number 41. So also, see, stop. Verse 39. And those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. That's the evil person, the person who's mocking the truth. If you're so big and bad, if you're Jesus Christ, you're supposed to have created everything, John 1, just, just come down. You can save everyone else. You can, 
You can raise Lazarus from the dead. You can save people who have had issues of blood for their entire lives. You can make people who've never walked a day in their life rise up and walk and carry their bed out of a pagan worship, uh, pagan, pagan worship assembly. Why can't you do something about your lot in life, as it were? Verse 41, so also the chief priests, when the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let, let him come down now from the cross. We will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let, let God deliver him now if he desires him. You've heard the statement that comes right after this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there have been books and debates and, and arguments around Christianity from the time that those words were said until now. Asking, why did, why did Jesus say God forsook him? Did, God, did Jesus take on all the sins of mankind? Actually, he became guilty of our sins, and so God forsook him because he can't turn, he can't look at all of the sins from Adam until when Jesus comes back, placed directly, literally on the head of Jesus Christ. That can't be possible. If he actually took our sins on himself, He's not sinless anymore. And if he's not sinless, he died for no reason. See, he had to be sinless on the cross. Jesus didn't take our sins literally. He died because of our sins. There's a difference there. Now, people have asked, why did Jesus say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? He's got the Jews walking below him, wagging their heads and saying, let God save him if God even cares about him anymore. You have to remember that the person on the cross was 100% God. However, he was also a man just like you and me. The, the Hebrews writer said he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You tell me how you would feel if you were on the cross dying for the sins of mankind and people were telling you that God didn't even care about you anymore. That's why he said it. He actually physically felt like God had forsaken him. Had God forsaken him? No, but he felt like it. And so Jesus says, why have you turned your back on me, God? Because the Jews are sitting there saying, God doesn't even, look, he says he's God. He can't come down. The actual God doesn't even care about him anymore. That's not true, but he felt it. And so he says that, Eventually, he, he dies on the cross. And all through this occurrence, the Romans, the, the people who are gathered around him, part Roman, part Jew, there's probably some, some people who are just passing through. You know, at that time, when, when Passover happens, there are a ton of people in Jerusalem. Not, not really as much as would happen 50 days later on the day of Pentecost when you see all the people who are gathered together over in, in Jerusalem from all over the world. But there would be a ton of people in Jerusalem. And during these feast days, it wasn't that uncommon that people outside of even the, real, the, the true Roman Empire would know that there are going to be a lot of people in Jerusalem during this time. I can make some money. 
If you're a, if you sell tents, if you sell food, if you sell something else, if you're if if you sell animals for for sacrifices and so forth, you're going to go to Jerusalem during this time. And so you've got Romans, you've got people from all over the place who are just there to make a buck. You've got Jews, and they've all heard about this man Jesus is being crucified today. You've heard about the um, the Circus Maximus, or, or later on the, the Colosseum, where people would go and just watch bloodshed. The, the Roman world was, was inundated with bloodshed, and they were fixated on it. And so if you're in Jerusalem and you hear, hey, there are three guys that are being crucified today. Well, the, the Romans had perfected crucifixion so much that people all over the world wanted to see a Roman crucifixion. They wanted to see how it was done because Romans were famous for killing people by crucifixion. And so you have all these people gathered together at the top of Golgotha. And they're mocking him. The Roman officials, the Roman soldiers are mocking him. Even the people who are supposed to know who he is, the elders and scribes, the scribe's job is just to sit down and copy that book from beginning to end. They're supposed to know, if anybody's supposed to know who he is, they're supposed to know. And they're all mocking him. They're all being the evil person, the person who looks at truth and mocks it. And in this case, they're looking at the physical personification of truth itself. The word of God, John 1, 1, 2, 3, and then verse 14. They're looking at truth itself and mocking him. But the thing is about an evil person is that it doesn't really help that much. I, I want to go to a couple more passages. Um, look at, well, let's go to this one first. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. We'll come back to that last one here in just a second. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows. That will he also reap. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 14. The wise man lays up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 27 verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. The Bible makes it very clear. No matter how you joke, no matter how much you joke and belittle and laugh at the truth, it will not change the truth. Period. Does it, no matter what they say to Jesus on the cross, it will not change that he is the physical personification of truth itself. He is God in flesh. He has tabernacled among us, John 1, 14. No matter how many times they mock him, it doesn't take away what he was actually doing. It doesn't take away who he actually was. Now, this is also nothing new. John, uh, Luke chapter 18 Luke chapter 18, verse 32, Jesus prophesies that this is going to happen. Luke 18, verse 32, for when he was delivered, for, when, for he, sorry, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Acts 17, verse 32, not only was it true of Christians, or sorry, of Jesus, that he would be mocked and that Jesus knew that he was going to be mocked, because whenever truth is presented, people will laugh at it. Acts chapter 17, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. 
But others said, we will hear you again about this. You see, there's always, there's two types of people when confronted with the truth. Either the person who laughs it off. Now this is the person, an evil person. We'll talk about the people who know the truth and reject it later on. They're also called fools in the Old Testament. In the book of Proverbs. But the evil person is one that is learning truth for the first time. There are two types of people that learn the truth for the first time. The person who laughs at it, makes fun of it, or the person who accepts it and says, okay, I want to know more. There's only two of those. And so Jesus went through it. The Christians went through it. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. It's nothing new that Christians will be mocked. You're going to be mocked today. If you, if you try to stand for the truth, you will be mocked. In fact, have you heard anything about the... Uh, have, you, have you ever been watching TV or listening to the radio or reading a book or seeing on social media or something, people who believe in Jesus Christ equated with the same people who believe in fictitious things like fairy tales and leprechauns and fairies. You ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of people who believe in a literal six-day creation where God created the heavens and the earth in six days Genesis chapter 1, Psalm 14, 1. Being compared with people who believe ridiculous scientific untruths like that the earth is flat. You ever heard that before? That Christians are just a bunch of flat earthers? If you believe Jesus, if you believe God created the world, you're just a bunch of flat earthers. The funny thing is that the people who believe in the flat earth are not Christians. They are atheists. It's an atheistic organization. If you read the Bible, you know it's not. Anyways, sorry, I'm getting mad about that. Anyways, it's just, when you stand for the truth, you will be mocked. Jesus said you're going to be mocked. He said he was going to be mocked. The Christians actually went through it. It's nothing new. The thing is that, like we said, no matter how many times you joke about the truth, no matter how many times the evil person jokes about the truth, it does not change the truth. We can make jokes about things like baptism for the remission of sins, but it doesn't change it. We can make jokes about the things that that step on our toes. Isn't it interesting, for some reason, Christians love being beat up by the preacher. We want to come to church and me to point out all of your sins, and then you're going to love the sermon, but then you're going to get mad at me because I pointed out your pet sin. I don't understand it. It's It's the paradigm of Christianity and the paradigm of preaching. Anyways, we want to joke about it. We want, we want it to, we want to use jokes to, like I said, lessen the impact of our convictions. We want to use a joke. We want to mock the truth because it makes us feel a little better. It's called a guillotine laugh. It's an actual psychological thing that man is is prone to. And that is when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel like we have been convicted, or when we feel like we are in the spotlight, 
we will make a joke. We will mock something. We will say an actual joke. We will do something that lessens the impact of what's going on. That is the, that is the spirit, the spirit as in, the, not, not some evil spirit. That's the spirit, the personification of the evil person. The person who makes fun of the truth. And no matter how many times you do it, it will not change the truth. In Matthew chapter 27, they tried to make fun of the truth. And then, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead people. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And as he said, come, see the place where he lay. The thing that people all over the world today are celebrating. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Regardless of how you see whether or not we should celebrate Easter, The truth is that Jesus did raise from the dead and Christians celebrate it every single week. See, the truth is that no matter how many times you joke, it doesn't change the fact. You can laugh at Jesus Christ on the cross, but three days later, he's going to prove that your mocking was worthless. Well, Save yourself, Jesus. Can't you just come down from the cross? I mean, you're the son of God, right? You keep telling us that you're equal with God. You keep telling us that before Abraham was, I am. Can't you just come down from the cross? You can save all these other people. Yeah, he could save all these other people. But he's not going to give you the benefit of the doubt of mocking him and him giving into your mocking. So three days later, he's going to do something that you don't believe he can do. Why did Jesus wait four days to go to Lazarus and raise him from the dead? You remember in John 11, he's he's weeping, he's upset because Lazarus had passed away, but he waits so long from the time. Now this is a person, this is something that popped into my head uh, this past week. Jesus Christ waits four days to go to Lazarus to raise him from the dead. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. In fact, when Lazarus dies... Jesus says, this has happened so that the kingdom and the truth can be shown. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is the person who, when he wanted out of it, when, he was, when there was a gathering of a crowd around him and he needed time alone, he's at the top of a mountain. He just appears at the top of the mountain and everybody goes, uh, where'd he go? Why did he take four days to go just a couple of miles down the road? To raise Lazarus from the dead. Because the Jews believed that, after, that the third day the, the spirit left where the body was. That the spirit hung around the body for three days. And then eventually, after three days, he would leave. Why did Jesus wait three days to rise from the dead? One, to prove that it wasn't just some coincidence that the spirit happened to go back into his body. Two, is to establish Sunday as the day of the Lord. You see, Sabbath day had already been established at creation. 
People think the Sabbath day is somehow a law of Moses. It wasn't in the law of Moses. Sabbath day has been going since the creation of the world. He made it in six. He rested on the seventh. It was instituted as a religious practice in the law of Moses. But see, that's already a special day. And Jesus is doing something new, so he waits till Sunday. But they're mocking him on the cross, and he says, I'm going to do something even more than what you want me to do. I'm not going to give in to your mockings. You're being an evil person. I'm going to show you that no matter how much you laugh at the truth, it will not change it. You can try to kill it. You can try to laugh it off. You can try to change it. It will not change. Period. The truth is the truth. And the evil person says, if I can laugh it off, then it'll be okay. And this isn't, this isn't just something that is in the Old Testament either. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse number 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Proverbs 10 and verse 21 says that the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. An evil person, a fool, dies for a lack of sense. Because they think that they can just laugh it off. James says, the gospel of practicality, James, the book of James, says, here's how you repent of sins. You stop laughing at truth, and you become wretched and mourn and weep. You let the truth actually convict you to the point that you have the sinking feeling. I, I was joking about this this past week with a friend of mine in Memphis. Uh, we were talking back and forth, and neither one of us were, were raised around the church, and so we were just telling the stories of how we became a Christian. I think I've probably told this story before, but I had a Bible study with our college minister, and so um, it, was, it was every... I think it was every Tuesday, every, hmm. no, it was every Monday morning for like a month before I became a Christian. And so uh, that morning I went, that Monday morning I went and I had a Bible study with Josh and then I went over to my friend Dalton's house, the guy who taught me the truth and I was still kind of putting things through and, and he said, so you had your Bible study with Josh this morning? I said, yeah, yeah, I think so. And we were sitting there playing Xbox and he said, how'd it go? And I said, well, um, you know, I think I'm okay. I think, I think I'm all right. I was baptized a long time ago. I didn't really know what I was doing back then, but, but I was baptized a long time ago, and so I, th- I think I'm okay. I'll never forget the look on Dalton's face. We're sitting there playing Xbox. It was Halo 3, and uh, maybe in Halo 2 because I'm old. I don't remember when it was. But anyways, we were playing Halo. Dalton was, he was some kind of like, I think he knew tricks of the game. Anyways, he's sitting there playing. He got very intense when he was playing Halo. And so I'm sitting there and he asked me and I say, you know, I think I'm okay. Dalton Gilreath, a person who took Xbox, took video games while we were in college more seriously than he should have, but more seriously than any other person I've ever met, set the controller down, looked at me straight in the eyes and said, no, you're not okay. You're going to hell. And then he picked it up, and he started playing again. And I said, huh, maybe he's right. I didn't say a word. 
I got up. I walked out of his room, out of his apartment. Went back to my apartment, and I sat, and I thought. And that night, we had a Devo, and so I went to the Devo, and I sat all through the Devo. I don't remember what the Devo was on. I didn't care. We had a guest speaker. I don't remember who it was. I sat there the entire time with this pit in my stomach. Invitation song was led. I sat there, didn't say a word. After everything was over, the announcements had gone through. We were getting ready. To, every time we played a little game after the Devo, and I, I sat there from the time I was at Dalton's house to the time we were fixing to start the game, just without saying really anything, with a pit in my stomach. And I raised my hand and I said, Josh, if we have time, can I be baptized? And he said, no, and then walked off. And I thought, oh, oh okay. And he said, yes, I'm just playing with you. Yes, you can be baptized. That is, I was the person who made fun of the truth. That is James 4, 9 personified. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. True repentance is taking an, e an evil person and the truth will make you have that pit in your stomach that you can't do anything but obey it. And it's when you realize that the pit in your stomach is because you know that you are lost, you will change. And no matter how many jokes you make, it will not change the truth. There are five words in the book of Proverbs that are translated fool. The first one is evil. It is a person who makes fun of the truth. The Jews tried to do it. The Romans tried to do it. The people gathered around the base of the cross tried to do it. And three days later, Jesus showed that no matter how many times you joke, it will not change it. And James says, if you really want to obey the gospel, you're going to have to turn that laughter into mourning and realize that you are lost. If you need to respond to the invitation to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. Listen to me. If you have that pit in your stomach, you can't laugh it off. You know the truth. And it's time to obey it. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. Let us know while we do that.